Welcome back to the Early Weigh-In Podcast. If you're back with us, make sure to hit that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, help your boys out some. First quarter of the year is up. We had a little break there. First quarter is not really what we hoped for, you know, but if you're with us from the beginning, we're still up units and stuff there, man, but learning from our mistakes and looking to move forward. This week we have what's ABC2 on Saturday morning, Mm -hmm. uh, also known as UFC Vegas 13, headlined by Marvin Vittori versus Kevin Holland stepping back up, man. Yeah, Kevin Holland definitely looking to – you know, bounce back from that terrible performance two weeks ago against Brunson. Hopefully he comes in a little bit more focused, less talkative. Um, we do have a stacked 15-fight yeah. card this week, and thankfully all of them have stayed together. Doing research on it isn't the most fun, but <laughs> come fight night, it'll definitely be worth it. Uh, we've got a ton of them to cover, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Mm-hmm. We start off with an exciting uh, welterweight matchup with Impa Kasanganai, who's 8-1, and one, taking on 6-2 and two, Sasha Palatnikov. Impa's coming off the most devastating KO to date, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. I mean, that's going to be on highlight reels for as long as anybody can remember. You know, before that KO happened, though, between his training partners and coaches, he was really being pushed Mm -hmm. as the next big thing. And, you know, I I know that it's only one loss, but he has transitioned to a different camp here at uh, Sanford MMA and has decided to move down a weight class, which I think it was a long time coming. You know, at 5'11", he was lucky to get guys like Maki Patolo and Joaquin Buckley, Mm -hmm. uh, both under six foot, and he still couldn't deliver. I mean, as we saw in the Joaquin Buckley fight, he was eating shots before that kick uh, and then ultimately got knocked out. Now that he's moving down, he's taking on somebody who isn't giving up any size in of himself and is actually the biggest guy that he's fought uh, in the UFC so far. Sasha Palatnikov coming off that huge debut upset um, to Luis Cosi where he Mm -hmm. was uh, like a plus 400. Uh, Now he did look like a plus 400 in that opening round. I mean, opening two and a half minutes, I guess, uh, really took a beating. But uh, as we've seen in the past, Blatnikov, he's gone that uh, those five rounds before, and we saw that his ability to kind of face that early onslaught and drag out the rounds, it really paid dividends towards the end, and he ultimately get, got that decision. Shoot, the TKO victory in mm-hmm. round three, it almost went to decision, yeah. though. Um, one thing that Impa's going to, I would assume, have some hesitancy with is Sasha is a primary kickboxer, mm-hmm. and you see that in his fights. He's constantly throwing kicks from all these different angles. And I got to imagine that Impa's not looking forward to that. On the flip side, Impa, he's really, really patient, and I think that he's going to have a extreme size and strength speed advantage even. Um, and at 170 pounds, I really do think that he can make some waves in this division. Yeah, man, I'm right there with you. I think Impa's the right side here. You're right. One of the best prospects that 2020 had for us, you know, before being on the receiving end of 2020's knockout of the year there by Joaquin Buckley. I like this drop down to 170 as well, man. He still looks like an absolute physical specimen, you know, despite being one of the nicest human beings on the planet. Um, But also, man, you know, he's given his body a break. The guy was making weight, you know, three times in two months, fighting back to back to back. And in that Buckley fight, every single punch Buckley landed, you saw it buckle the knees and affect him. And Mm -hmm. I I think it was evident of all those weight cuts. I'm a a big fan of this break that Impa's been on. Um, And out of a good camp, you're going to see improvements from this guy, you know, between every single fight. He just started fighting in 2017, turned pro in 2019. You know, the sky is still the limit for this guy. Um, just despite still being very green, he, you know, he has flashes of brilliance. You talked about the patience. His guard is really, really tight. He's got a really hard calf kick, which I think will be successful in that wide stance of Sasha. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as he's just, he's okay with a boring fight, man. He'll, he'll grind on you, put you on the cage and um, shows really, you know, good uh, fight IQ, despite only having nine fights on this pro record. 
for Sasha, I feel like as, as a really good test for him, but here, you know, he's, he doesn't have the fights that Maki did that, um, that Buckley did, you know, he's got eight fights himself there. Um, and you're right, man, you know, huge upset against Koski and you know who the ref was that night. <laughs> oh, I could, who Tagoni. Oh, no way. Yeah, okay. absolutely, man. You know, plenty of refs going to call that there. Um, let Sasha survive and he comes back and gets the win. The kickboxing range, very good. Works the jab well. And Impa might be a little hesitant, you know, to test that chin and stuff. I still think Impa's a super, super good parlay piece, man. And um, I'm looking for Impa to maybe bounce back with even a TKO himself. I don't mind that. Not only did I talk about the hesitancy that Impa might have with a kickboxer like Palatnikov, but mm-hmm. also coming off that first loss of his career. Yeah. You know, we've seen a lot of people be really hesitant after that. Francis comes mm-hmm. to mind, obviously. Yeah. But uh, it is something to, to note, especially with such a green fighter like Impa. Is he going to show up? And at 170 pounds, I guess you do have to call into question whether or not he's taken enough time to get that cardio where it needs to be, especially against a guy like Palatnikov who's gone that distance. Well, not to mention only five months since a devastating knockout like that as well. Right. Who knows if his chin really had that time to recover. For sure. Uh, both agree probably Impa, though. Gets yeah, I, I think so as well. For sure, man. We move on to a fight we are super excited about in our light heavyweight division. We have Dion Jung, who's 13-2-1, taking on William Knight. Man, Dion Jung coming off the, the draw to Sam Alvey, watching that fight, you know, it, it, it can't leave a bad taste in your mouth about mm-hmm. Dion Jung. He, he got caught by Sam early. I think he was somewhat shocked by the, the bloated middleweight's power there. And, you know, somewhat low volume, but come that second early, or late second early third he made the adjustment to the elbow when Sam was rushing in and drops him multiple times um I know a lot of people don't really agree we know we think Joe won that fight he's minus 500 going into the third round and has the best round of the fight and mm-hmm. still it's a draw so you know, everybody's got their different opinions, but I think the bookies think John probably won that one too. It also helped that we had a bet on him, yeah. so we might be looking <laughs> for some biased struggles. Um, but he's super, super talented on his feet. Very good boxer, man. His finish over Mike Rodriguez is beautiful. I know Mike Rodriguez is not a win to, you know, to brag about, but the way he keeps his foot on the outside of, you know, Mike's lead leg sets up that right hand perfect, and Mike, he couldn't avoid that if he wanted to, mm-hmm. man. On William Knight, you know, I question if why the guy was even signed on the contender series. If you want my honest opinion, the fight with Cody Brundage not going his way until he lands the Travis, you know, Brown tile elbows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's massively undersized for the division, you know, despite being a freaking tank. Right. He does have a high school state wrestling championship and you see him kind of, you know, resort to the wrestling where he has just pure strength. He almost mm-hmm. reminds me of Derek Lewis when, when he wants to get up, he's going to get up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just super raw, man. He relies on that strength way more than I like. Uh, and I think Dao Jung has potential to knock his lights out come Saturday. What about you? I really like that read. I mean, Dao Jung, I really think the the main factor in this fight is going to be the speed advantage mm-hmm. that he has. As a primary boxer, you know, he, he sets up those shots. And like you said, it was unavoidable in that Mike Rodriguez yeah. fight to catch that right hand. And the same thing when the uh, Sam Alvey fight. Like, he got Sam Alvey got dropped twice, I believe, in that fight and ate some shots that I guarantee 90% of the roster yeah. couldn't eat. Um, that's just what you get with betting against Sam Alvey. It's mm-hmm. a, another one where I think later on in this fight card, I don't want to fade Sam Alvey strictly because he, he'll pull a Sam Alvey. Yeah. Uh, on the William Knight side, finally getting this fight after the two canceled bouts yeah. with Alonzo. Um, but you said it, man. I don't think that this guy should be in the UFC. I think physically he's incredible to look at. I mean, it's, it's just, it's insane, but he is one of the most 
unpolished fighters we've seen in the modern UFC era, in my opinion. You know, he has suspect takedown defense despite being a, a national champion wrestler. And, or the high school state. Oh, had high school state wrestler. Um, and then also in, the, in his striking exchanges, you see him lift up that chin and really, really just show massive holes in his game. And uh, I think somebody like Daun Jung, who's the bigger side of the one or 205 division at six foot four, it's really going to exploit that in, in the in Knight's uh, defense. One thing I got to say, and I would be lying if I didn't say I was worried about, is Jung's takedown defense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've seen uh, in, a, in a couple of fights, like the Ibrahimov fight is the one that really stands out. Even in those later rounds, Ibrahimov was able to land a couple takedowns that's not something i like to see at all in my opinion jung's going to need to avoid the clinch like the plague to yeah. get this done but if he does i think this should be an easy night for him and i like the the knockout call yeah man i'm with you this you know what six inch height advantage five inch reach advantage it's only going to help we've seen william knight you know knocked out bad by a good striker and tefani mm-hmm. kuchwe before and exactly. stuff uh, and you know and that's a 185 for you're right and and with alonzo fight falling out twice he's had to make weight multiple times now what kind of headspace is this guy in because um, i know in the time between his contender series and his debut i know that he got up to 252 pounds yeah which like you said the weight cut doing that multiple times that's not going to benefit him by any means for sure man i'm glad we both see the dial and gen side and i'm pretty sure we've already released a play on him if I'm we not sure mistaken. have it's our first play and we we placed 1.5 units uh, we were already leaning Jung, but if you needed a little bit more, check out his Instagram. That dude's in the best shape of his yep. life, and I think he comes in here and gets it done with ease. So I know we plan to play him straight, but the Jenner and myself is probably going to take his TKO on the side as well. It's not, you know, yes. I want to as well, and at minus 150, or no, that's the inside the distance yeah. is minus 150, but you're right. If we could get just a little bit better on that TKO, mm-hmm. you could probably look for that as well on our, our slate. For sure. Dropping down to the featherweight division, we have a debutante in Luis Saldana, who's 14 and 6, taking on the native psycho Jordan Griffin, who's 18 and 8. Uh, Saldana, you know, his record might not show it, but he's got all the experience you could ask for as a 30 year old. Uh, I know that John Anik said multiple times in his last fight that he's been boxing since he's eight years yeah. old, and it shows when and how comfortable he is in that pocket. Um, you know, I, I think that he gets a rap of being just a striker, but I did watch a, a few of his you know, highlights on YouTube and what I could fight of his old fights, and he's not lost on the ground at all. You know, he has a couple of uh, submission wins and a couple of, you know, mounted finishes, and uh, it was at least nice to see coming into this thinking that he was only a boxer. Yeah. Then moving on to Jordan Griffin, one and three in the UFC with his one win being to TJ Brown, which mm-hmm. isn't panning out to be right. that big of a win. Um, but he is at Rufus Sport MMA with Duke Rufus right now. He's definitely at 31 years old, uh, should be hitting his stride right now. Um, he's had a, a, a tough a tough run as far as the guys he's getting. Danny Gay and Zalal being two that come to mind where it's like, you know, yeah, those are pretty high-level prospects, and it's all right if you lose to them. But uh, I don't think that his UFC career is going to last much longer, especially if he drops this to Saldana. Um, you know, Griffin, another guy where it's like, I thought he was a primary striker, but I watched his tape a little bit more, and I was really surprised with how well he looked on the mat. You know, he has a couple of power takedowns and slams, and then he's got the Brazilian jiu-jitsu to match it. I uh, forget how many or sub wins he's got, but I know it's the majority of mm-hmm. his wins. He, um, you know, he does on the feet have a couple of uh, glaring holes that I think Saldana could capitalize on, similar to like Jan Blakovic or Derek Brunson. He's got a little bit of blitz in yeah. him, you know, and he, and he does pay for it. And with somebody like Saldana, who's okay with staying in that pocket, 
cutting that angle off and hitting him with a counter. I could see Jordan Griffin going to sleep, even though his last three losses are all by decision. This fight has the under written all over it, in my opinion. Both these guys bring fireworks, and it's sitting at a juicy price tag right now. Yeah, for sure, man. We are all over this under two and a half here. But uh, I know you you mentioned John Anik, and I heard he's looking for an amateur bantamweight in 2023. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here if he wants to call me out. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you're right. Lewis Saldana, man, he looks good on the contender series. The third round finish over Vince Murdoch, uh, you know, put him extend his uh, win streak to four there. Get a five inch height advantage, man, and nine inches in reach in that fight. It's just something he's not going to have here in the case against Jordan Griffin. But you know, on the feet, dude, he's he's stellar. He reminds me of Bajo Mundes, who's a little bit, you know, on the card later. They're they're very talented kickboxers. They're they're good at feints. They switch stances. Um, Hundred percent finish rate on his side, but. You know, sometimes on the feet himself, he, he kind of gets uh, – he doesn't respect his opponents a lot because he gets a little confident in his striking. His hands do drop low himself. The grappling's caused him to drop two decisions in the past as well as two submission losses. So Jordan's definitely got, you know, a path to victory, you know, a confident path I think that he sees where he can exploit Saldana's weakness. But Jordan Griffin, also a contender series vet himself, on a night that was pretty hard to get a contract, but uh, Dana White actually gave out five that night at – Roosevelt Roberts, Juan Adams, Dontel Mays, and Ian Heinish all on the same night as Jordan Griffin. A pretty stacked night in the Contender Series. Pretty sure Griffin's the only one left in the UFC off that list. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Heinish is there. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Dontel and Roosevelt, they're still there too. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, he's Jordan Griffin, man. He also fought Bellator's champ and won after let up. Submitted Derek Minner, who just went out there and put a clinic on Charles Rosa on the mat. But you're right, man. One and three in the UFC. Lost to Ige, to Skelly, to Yusuf Salal. And that fight with TJ Brown, he was losing every second of it before he pulled off that ridiculous submission from the bottom. His last five wins are by submission. Perfect under, in my, you know, in my opinion here. Like I said, Saldana's 100% finish rate, where we've also seen Jordan Griffin win 15 of his 18 inside the distance, and it's sitting at a plus 180. Um, I'm all over this here, man. Um I'm kind of up in the air, though, about, um, you know, who I think is going to take this one. I definitely see Al Sedona, um, you know, was much, much uh, better on the feet. But I think Griffin's alive to spoil the party here. So uh, I'm actually going to go with the dog and Jordan Griffin. I don't know if Saldana adapted the low hand things uh, later on in his MMA career. But after you bring that up, that is something that I like to hear, especially in somebody who's going to have to stuff that takedown a couple yeah. of times. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. As long as this stays on the feet, Saldana's going to touch him up, and hopefully Griffin's chin doesn't hold up and we can get a, get a finish by Saldana. For sure, man. And we move on to a fight that I'm like, super excited for. We have my boy in Jack Shore, who's still sporting that undefeated record at 13-0, and taking on Hunter Azer, who's 9-1. Uh, Azer back down to Bantamweight here at his normal weight class. Jack Shore, man, probably one of my favorite prospects in the Bantamweight division, maybe in the UFC right now that's not ranked at all. This guy's 26 years old. He's got a 12-0 amateur record to go with it. Um, Cage Warriors champion. He's the old-school Japanese jiu-jitsu black belt. Has a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. All of the wins by rear naked choke, which is my favorite submission by far. That's a submission that, unless your name is John Blockowitz, you're not just muscling, you know. Right. you got to work for that motherfucker. As far as his striking, it's all to set up the ground game, man. And, and when he gets there, it's an absolute clinic on the mat a lot of times. Hunter Azur looking to make his, you know, his fourth walk to the UFC. He suffered his first defeat against Brian Kelleher there, but that was one of the quarantine fights. I think it was the very first pay-per-view that UFC put back on. Uh, it was up a weight class at 45. And, you know, like the Katona fight, he went to the striking, and this time he kind of paid the price, and, you know, he got knocked out bad. 
did rebound in a, in a bet that we cashed on him by decision against Cole Smith. But, man, was that third round sweaty, and it makes me want to lead, uh, you know, Jack Shore even more here. So I'm, I'm going to go with my boy officially, Jack Shore. I'm going to even take him by third round submission. Uh, so I like the third round prop. You know, I, I don't know if, if you touched on it, but Azur does kind of slow down in those later yeah. rounds, and Jack Shore likes to take his time. Uh, I kind of compared him to Israel Adesanya, Emmanuel Kopp, and the fact that he does like to take that first round to around to download that information, throw feints, and kind of uh, find where your holes are in your striking defense or in your grappling defense. Even that will keep you guessing. Um, there is a lot of hype surrounding Jack Shore. I, I, I would like to to tone it down just a little bit. You know, his best two fights are against uh, No Helene Hernandez and Aaron Phillips. And it's like he was a minus 800 in the first one and then a minus 210 in the second. Like he hasn't proven much. I get that he's an English fighter and everybody wants to back the new coming of an English <laughs> fighter. I just don't know if he's proven enough to, to get behind him, uh, in, in my opinion. You know, you talked about his, his ground game and how he's just an absolute leech if he gets yeah. you on the mat. Uh, I do think that it'll be an issue trying to get it to the mat with somebody like Hunter Azur, who is such a good wrestler. And, you know, I know that I know that Hunter kind of uh, does have a fault and he does like to stand up. But I do think that if he starts the offensive wrestling early and tries to get Jack Shore on his back, that that top pressure of Azor could really uh, grind out the win. I don't necessarily think he's going to get the knockout, but I do think he has the power advantage and the strength advantage as long as he can keep on top of Jack Shore whenever it gets to the mat. Uh, I think I'll... Uh, Man, I think Hunter Azor was outstriking Brian Kelleher before he got knocked out. I'll, I'll take Hunter Azor. He's, he's suffered a loss. He's had to uh, kind of overcome those obstacles in his MMA career. He's got three years of experience. And uh, this is Jack Shore's true first test in, in his career, in my opinion. And I, I'll take Azor here, especially at underdog odds. And I imagine that, that line will get steamed closer to fight night. And that'll only be more enticing for me to take Hunter. Yeah, man, I see exactly where you're coming from as well. Hunter grew up on an Indian reservation in Montana. There wasn't nothing to do but wrestle there. You right, know, just right. got a four-time state champion in high school, goes on to wrestle in college as well. You know, he said that his career was kind of plagued with injuries there in college, but super, super heavy on top. And a good wrestler is an absolute nightmare for, uh, you know, a good jiu-jitsu practitioner, man. I absolutely see it. Um, I'm glad we disagree on this one because I don't want to spoil the party, but someone's going to be wearing something pretty funny next week. So yeah. it'll be a little surprise for you guys. Yeah, really excited to bust that one out for you and much better than me paying Preston or Preston. <laughs> Moving on, we have an explosive heavyweight matchup with Jorgen DeCastro, who's six and two, taking on Yargis Danho, who's five, one and one. You know, Castro in his debut, he looked like a killer against Tapa. I remember after that fight thinking, all right, this guy's real deal. Yeah. He's got the kickboxing <laughs> experience, all this type of stuff. Then they give him Greg Hardy, kind of gauge where he's right. at. And uh, you just, you know, he, he just doesn't live up to it. Then they give him Carlos Felipe and what I think they thought would have been a layup and still doesn't deliver. Yeah. And what I'm noticing more and more in his fights is he just lacks the volume to win any type of decision. So if you're going to bet him, bet him by uh, inside the distance or – like I think we're thinking about the under one and a half here in this spot uh, where Dan Ho under 10 fights and in, including his amateur record. I mean, dude's as green as it gets and he's 37 years old. He's Oh, one and one in the UFC with three canceled bouts. And to be mm -hmm. honest with you, he's just lucky to be here. Yeah. Um, I, most of his fights like heavyweights, they end in KO. Uh, man, when I watch tape on Dan Ho, I don't think I've seen a, 
a more disappointing fighter. <laughs> I mean, that dude, he, uh, he has just an awful setup for his best strike, which is his overhand right, uh, that you could just see from a mile away. And the one fight that I can point to that reminds me so much of it is that Tafa fight that DeCastro uh, had. Tafa, for whatever reason, switched out from southpaw, yeah. went orthodox, and rushed in with a big overhand right, and Castro was able to time that and drop his ass. Uh, that's what that's what I see happening, but I'm much more comfortable taking the under one and a half even money right here. Yeah, man, we, we see this fight just alike, man, on the side of DeCastro, and he kind of took the UFC by storm when he chopped down decorated wrestler Alton Meeks on the contender series yeah. with those leg mm-hmm. kicks, and then, you know, debuts on a card – Biggest pay-per-view, you know, to gate today on Israel Adesanya and Whitaker in Tafa's backyard and just sleeps him in the first round. UFC thought they had a star here, right? And, mm-hmm. You know, now he's found himself on that L2 on two pretty boring fights, to be honest. Nothing like what we thought he, you know, that he showed prior. You're right, man. He likes the volume. He just tries to counter everybody and, and let that power go to work. And, you know, despite coming in at 260, relatively small frame for the heavyweight division, can, can get bullied up against that fence and really cause him some issues. Come the scorecards. But, you know, back-to-back fights going 15 minutes, something, you know, I don't know if I can say the same for Dan Ho at 37 years old, five-year layoff coming back, you know. Uh, debuted in 2016 where he lost the decision, goes on to – get a draw with Christian Colombo, but despite the point deduction, you know, he should have mm-hmm. lost that fight. And he's been inactive, you know, now since September of 2016. It's just hard for me to see a way that this guy wins this fight, in my opinion. Um, sells every one of his strikes, and for a good striker like DeCastro, you know, I think he's going to capitalize quick. I like under under one and a half. I'm going to side with DeCastro. And at the time of this podcast, we don't have a DeCastro inside the disc, or no, we don't have a DeCastro first round or by TKO prop, which is ones that we're keeping our eyes on just yeah. for in the future. Absolutely, man. Moving on to a really exciting lightweight fight, we have John McDessie, who is 17 and 7, taking on Ignacio Bajamundes, who is 11 and 3. Um, you know, John McDessie debuted in the UFC when Ignacio was 12 years old. He's approaching 20 fights in the UFC, you know, with 10 wins here. Um, not a single one of those 10 wins are with the company, though, man. And, and as he's aged, he, he's really got inconsistent in his activity. He's fought once a year since 2016. And in that span of four fights, we've seen Ignacio put together 13 of his 14 fights. Um, you know, twice, you know, I'm sorry, 13 times as active or something in the span. You know, it's crazy. But McDessie is, is a really good striker himself. Uh, more than one of the Muay Thai strikers who are real stationary in their movement, heavy on their lead leg, and doesn't move their head a lot. We've seen Venata and Cerrone, you know, put him away with head kicks there. Um, and, you know, Ignacio, in my opinion, is a better striker than both of those. He's, he's had a significant height and reach disadvantage. So when McDessie tries to close distance, he's going to take a ton of damage. You don't get a better performance on the Contender Series than Bajo Mendez did. You know, Edson Gomez was the perfect opponent for him. You know, they gave him a tough dude that he could just beat the shit out of until the dude couldn't stand anymore. Lance a devastating front kick, um, you know. This guy's a 35-0 kickboxer, and like Saldana, you know, just flashes of brilliance on the feet, man. Mm-hmm. So many feints. He works that jab so well. He has no wind-up on his shots. You know, it's so crisp, crazy output. I'm Ignacio Mendez all the way here, man. I, I got a ticket under 190. I thought it was going to be stellar, and now mm-hmm. it's still creeping down. And I'm probably looking to double down here as he's one of my most confident plays this this fight yeah man it looks like there's a lot of money coming in on mcdessie and i understand why i will be honest with you whenever i saw that he had 17 ufc fights under his belt historically contender series debutantes don't do well against long-standing ufc talent 
And, uh, but, but to be honest with you, upon further inspection, you know, this matchup in height, age, and length are enough for me to fade anybody right. in this spot, <laughs> much less looking at this. You're right. I think Baja Mendez has the, the striking advantage here. And let's not pretend, even though, yeah, McDessie's, uh, you know, go-to is definitely his striking. Let's not pretend like he hasn't gotten outclassed by strikers in the past. You know, we, we've seen Lando Venado, we've seen Donald Cerrone, Yancey Medeiros is the one that stands out to me. And the one that I needed to see to bet Ignacio hard, you yeah. know, I'm with you. That minus 175 price tag looks good. And if it continues to creep down, you can see a substantial play on the podcast, I think. Um Baja Mendez, you know, you talked about the Contender Series performance. That was like a guy that I wrote down, like, I'm excited yeah. to see this guy fight. And here in McDessie, he's got a perfect opponent that he can showcase this 35-0 kickboxing record. You know, McDessie's not going to shoot for the takedown, or at least historically he won't. And, um, you know, it, this is, I think, the exact same size as Edson Gomez here. Yeah, it is. You know, so it's I, I truly think, frame. yeah, I think this is just going to be another uh, – just beat down. You know, one thing I noted about uh, Baja Mendez is uh, his volume, man. He didn't quit. Nope. And, and like you said, there's no windup, so there's not a lot of energy being used into those shots. It just tempers you. Right. And, and some and accuracy, yeah. right? Like, that's the big thing. And I compared him to Sean O'Malley in that way, where you see Sean really utilize that long frame, really utilize those angles, and has really good placement as opposed to power. And mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see Baja Mendez uh, – you know, I know that McDessie hasn't hasn't gotten TKO'd since the Venata fight, but this is a fight where as long as it stays on the feet, I think we could yep. see another KO. I, I'm with you as well. I've got Ignacio inside the distance, plus 200 written down. Okay, I like that. Under two and a half, plus 140 written down as well. Um, both potential plays, but, man, a couple units straight on Ignacio, I'm confident as hell on. Yeah, I like that. We move over to the female bantamweight division where we see the immortal Norma DeMont taking on Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, Norma DeMont at 30 years old, she is the elder by nine years to Blanchfield, but it doesn't necessarily mean that she has the edge and MMA experience. Uh, at only five and one, she does... Uh, a little bit of a late bloomer, you know? Yeah, a little bit of a late bloomer, although she does have that black belt in Sanda, which I found <laughs> out this week was Chinese kickboxing. Uh, MMA experience and that grappling experience really isn't there. Um, one thing that I really like about Norma Dumont is she has fought at featherweight mm-hmm. and Blanchfield is an X 125 or moving up right now. Uh, she's taken this fight on short notice and her go-to is her jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I don't think at five foot four that she's going to have the strength to take out, take down the X featherweight and Norma Dumont and Dumont's going to make her pay on the feet. Uh, I, I likened her to Macy Barber whenever Macy fought Jillian Robertson. The way that Norma DeMont throws, it's, mm-hmm. with, it's powerful. It's, it's a lot of volume. And uh, that Ashley Evan Smith fight, Ashley Evan Smith is, is solid as far Tough. as her chin. Yeah. She took some of the hardest shots I've seen from a girl. And uh, it, it was really nice to see DeMont bounce back from that Megan Anderson knockout. Uh, I personally think that uh, Blanchfield is just going to be too undersized, regardless of any of her technical advantages or anything on the ground. I just don't think she's going to be big enough. And as I say every single week, size matters in women's MMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I read this fight the same way for you. Dumont is supposed to be taking on Bay Malecki, who just pulled out. Reason we see Aaron taking this on short notice here. Dumont's debut was at that 145-pound division where she took on Megan Anderson. And, you know, she got slept with a pretty good right hand there in the first round. But – 
man, you can't ask for a better bounce back fight when she dropped down to her normal weight class of 35 and she put on an absolute clinic against mm-hmm. Ashley Evan Smith. The boxing, the wrestling was all on point. Cardio looked good. Blanchfield, in my opinion, maybe one of the best girls that were not signed to the UFC despite only being 21 years old. Um, and, and, you know, I get it that she wasn't signed yet. There's, there's no rush on this girl whatsoever. She fought Kay Hansen. She beat Kay Hansen. She beat Victoria Leonardo. They're both in the UFC. Mm-hmm. She had a split decision loss to Tracy Cortez, who's, I think, 2-0 in the UFC now. Um, you know, fought very good competition. Uh, so, I, you know, other than 21 years old, she, she very rarely she, – she rightfully deserves this spot. That's what I'm trying to get at, you know, despite being so young. But she's only been fighting for just two years, man. She's crammed all these fights in. So, she's still very, very green. And, you know, she's she's at a big size disadvantage. You know, we see huge Whitman upsets all the time with these huge wide lines. But um, I, I think Dorma Dumont probably takes her down and, and kind of probably puts her way inside the distance. Probably that submission is what I'm going to say. I agree. And I don't want people to come at me for saying Blanchfield is, is only a jiu-jitsu artist. Mm-hmm. I understand that she caught Leonardo two times with that left high yeah. kick. And that looked good. I just don't think that that's going to be anything new to somebody who's a Chinese kickboxer and a black belt at that and much bigger. I'm with you, man. Taking a step up, real exciting fight in our lightweight division. We have Scott Holtzman, who's 14-4, taking on Mateus Gamrot, who is 17-1. Scott Holtzman there, Tennessee boy, always going to have a soft spot for him there. Um, but, you know, he kind of always drops the ball when he takes that step up in competition with guys like Benel De Rouge, Josh Emmett, you know, Nick Lentz, Andrew Dober. And, and I see that really good. I see that potential in Mateus Gamera, if I'm going to be honest, man. Holtzman is extremely hittable. Um, you know, he takes a lot of punishment despite that Benny loss um, knockout being the first one of his career. He reminds me a lot of Paul Felder and that ability to eat shots, but also just be so physically strong. The way he pressures guys, like, he always brings a brawl out of you. There's almost no avoiding it there. Got a really good counter right, hard kick, but the takedown defense is very, very suspect. He's been taken down 24 times in 11 fights with the UFC. He's taken on an extremely good wrestler, Mateusz Gamrot, who's a Polish-European grappling champion. You know, made his way through ADCCs before getting matched up with Tonin in the round of 16s. You know, death sentence for anybody waiting to happen there. Um, you know, he doesn't need the cage, man. He can shoot out in open space to get those takedowns. Landed five against the, you know, Kutateladze in his debut, despite dropping that one. And it's kind of weird to see Kutateladze, you know, in the interview and be like, no, Gamrot, you won, brother. You won, <laughs> you know. Uh, but he trains out of ATT, really good camp, man. He really switches stance as well. He offers huge power in that right hand. But when he switches to southpaw, that's a really big indication that he's about to shoot and use that wrestling. Um, I got a minus 170 ticket here when it dropped a little bit, man. I, I'm all over Gamrot here, I think, uh, you know. Scott Oldman is obviously so tough. He's going to take this one to the scorecards, but that wrestling is going to give him issues again. So this is one that we don't see eye to eye on, and it's not my like most confident hit yeah. by any means, but Gamrod has not convinced me of being the favorite, especially how big of a favorite he's been in his last two fights. You know, he comes on into that Kutataladze fight at minus 330, and I got to imagine that it's his regional scene guys that he's beaten. You know, he's beaten those – 24 and fours, nine and ones, 21 and seven, 28 and six. And that all sounds really good. But if you take a look at those guys, none of them are going to be in the UFC. None of them are on their way to the UFC. And then you take, you know, prior to the UFC, he had three fights against Norman Park in his last six. And Norman Park, somebody who didn't beat anybody of significance in the UFC, has already had his run and it's over with. And I just don't understand how he could be this big of a favorite and somebody like Scott Holtzman, who Although, yes, has shown like that grappling deficiency in his mm-hmm. game, but he has proven to overcome grapplers and guys like Alain Patrick or Jim Miller. Like those are guys that 
in my opinion, are on the same level as Gamrot, or at least proven themselves more than Gamrot. And I can, uh, I could see Holtzman getting this done, man. He, you know, he spent this time at camp in uh, Arizona with John Crouch at the MMA lab. I do, I will note that in a lot of his fights, he does have somewhat of an amateur way to set up his overhand right, which is definitely his power shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he does use footwork and angles that I think could ultimately be like why Gamrot gets in trouble. Gamrot is kind of, uh, kind of like predictable with his takedowns. And we saw that in the Guram Kutatuladze, although he couldn't stop the takedown, mm-hmm. um, he started making him pay, I think after the second one that he shot, you know, it was a single leg, like almost ankle pick, uh, that get, uh, Gamrot shot every single time. And, uh, you know, he, he also, in his, in his other fights, he's not very good about when he gets the fight to the ground, keeping it on the ground. I watched a lot of tape on him, and a lot of it is him standing over his opponent, uh, you know, just kind of having the dominant position. And he's more than comfortable winning a decision, mm-hmm. which is uh, definitely how I see him getting this done. But I think that the value on Holtzman at like plus 450, getting it done inside the distance, uh, has has a lot of value on it. Being uh, being somebody who has seen that UFC caliber talent and has proven himself mm-hmm. uh, to to beat that type of talent, um, it's hard for me to pass up on this, especially considering Gamrot's already burned me once, being mm-hmm. that type of huge favorite when he hasn't proven anything. Yeah, man, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Although you know, don't just dis- we disagree on who's going to win that one. I, I definitely see your points, man. And I think this is going to be a really fun fight on Saturday. Yeah. We stay in the lightweight division where we see Jim Miller, who's 32 and 15, taking on 10 and 2 Joe Selecki. You know, what can I say about Miller? He's, mm-hmm. he's a UFC mainstay, and uh, I think his best days are behind him. Yeah. You know, prior to last year, I feel like a lot of Miller's losses were forgivable, but it's the, the Holtzman and the Vince Pichel fights that are a little bit concerning to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he is kind of one of those, he's an early starter. There's really no way around it. And his last, uh, eight fights, eight wins, mm-hmm. six of those are first round finishes. And as we've seen in his last fights, he has started to slow down after that first round. You know, he gets outstruck by Scott Holtzman in those last two rounds. Uh, Vince Pichel really picks up the pace in that final third round. Um, and I do think that that's just a, a, pre, a, little, a, a look into the future of how Jim Miller's career is going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Selecki, I really do think that he – has the advantage just about everywhere here. And he does kind of represent that new wave of fighters that's coming to replace the guys like Jim Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, Selecki, he's another fast starter with eight of his 10 wins by first round finish. And that's why in this fight, I, I, I do think that the under two and a half is something that's playable. Both these guys are, are strong finishers and Miller having that, uh, having that downfall after that first round yeah. really entices me. But the thing that holds me off is Selecki's fight with Wyman, where he goes for a sub attempt early, and when he doesn't get it, he just decides to lay on him for three rounds. And it got to the point where Matt Wyman, at the end of it, got up and started yelling at him because he just didn't do anything for the last two rounds. I think, uh, you know, Selecki, he's shown stand-up-wise, he's comfortable on the feet, but he also has great timing on his takedowns. And like I said, it at least shows me that he's not going to be too like overzealous and gas himself out in the fight. And I guess that's a positive if you're betting on the Joe Selecki side. Yeah, man, Jim Miller is absolute veteran of the sport. I know he's tied with Cerrone for most UFC appearances, about to take that record when he makes a walk on Saturday. Most wins in the lightweight division as well, and the list goes on and on for the guys that this, you know, that Jim Miller has stood across from. 
he owns his own gym there in New Jersey, man. And, and I really think it's evident of that. You know, you've not seen improvements made by Jim Miller throughout, you know, throughout his career. He's somewhat been a, a, a journeyman, a stepping stone for a lot mm-hmm. of these guys on their way to the belt. Um, you've also seen the fight miles, the Lyme disease really start to catch up with him and inability to go, you know, the full three rounds at a good pace. He does tend to fade really, really quickly. He's got really good timing on that inside leg kick, ends his combos well with the high kick, and his left hand has become really, really accurate over the years. But as he's, you know, gotten older in age, he's really, really started to rely on that grappling as his last four wins come by submission, um, you know. And that's not somebody – Joe Selecki is not someone you want to be messing around on the mat with, in my opinion. Um, you know, he opened at a minus 135. Props to you if you got that. I'm sitting at a minus 190 ticket on him, and I beat that by 30-something points from what the line's currently sitting at. Selecki has approached about a two, minus 230 favorite here, being one of the more popular, you know, picks throughout the week. And I see it, man. He's a very promising prospect for 27 years old. He dropped a decision early in his career and then loses to Nicholas Mota in the third round. But Mota's making his debut next month. Mm-hmm. So nothing bad there to look on. Seven of his ten wins by submission. We've seen Miller have struggles, um, you know, on the mat as he's gotten later on in his career. His fight with Hubbard, an absolute clinic. The boxing looked so crisp, good body kick. And, you know, once he got the, the standing rear naked choke, was so patient until he found the choke. Uh, just an absolute clinic, man. The, the guy's ten years younger stronger, more athletic. Um, I think Joe Selecki, honestly, is, could be the most confident pick for me on Saturday. Yeah, I'd like to, to double down on that because, as I say it, maybe I'm not as confident on the under two and a half, but I am confident on Joe Selecki. You know, just to add fuel to the fire, Selecki tra- uh, trains at Jim O mm-hmm. in North Carolina with Scott Holtzman, who has the win over right. Jim Miller. He's gonna be Scott's going to be able to give him some of that feedback, and them having a fight on the same week, I think that that'll be an excellent training partner. And then on top of that, Thinking back to that Pichelle fight, it was the wrestling top pressure of Pichelle that was the the biggest deciding factor mm-hmm. in that fight. And Joe Selecki's got more than enough of that. So, yep. yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Even at minus 230, I mean, I'd lay a few units on this. It's For pretty sure, confident. Man. You talked about Jim O. There's a picture with him on the social media with Lionheart and Weidman there that he's wrestling with, too. He's getting the good work in, man. I rightfully think he should be this kind of favorite. Cool, cool. We move on, man. Taking a step up to our welterweight division on a fucking killer fight, man. We have Mike Perry, 14 and 7, taking on Daniel Rodriguez, who is 13 and 2. Mike Perry, man, good or bad, this guy's always the center of attention. You know, mm-hmm. he's got his fair share of problems outside the octagon, but, you know, you're not going to miss a Mike Perry fight come fight night. You're always tuned in there. 14 and 7, pretty spotty record, but, you know, the matchups are endless for Mike Perry. They're, there's fun matchups throughout that entire welterweight division, you know despite being two and four in his last six, Mike Perry ain't going nowhere, even though he misses weight and everything, you know. Um, This has real potential to be the fight of the night. Man, either one of these guys take a step back. You know, Perry's been in there with Luke, with Jeff Neal, with Felder, Cerrone, Pontanibio, you know, really, really tough guys, man. And a lot of people are saying that he's got his shit together this fight camp. And, you know, I hope he comes out there on the scales and looks much better. On the side of D-Rod, you know, he debuted short notice against Tim Means and, you know, finished him there, which is – um, you know, something I don't really like to see when Tim Means is the last person to beat, you know, uh, Mike Perry. But Styles make fights here. You know, we're we went on in his next fight, pretty really tough fight with Gabe Green. Gabe Green looked like shit against Phil Rowe in his last fight. He goes out and lands a good punch and finishes Dwight Grant. Pretty decent win. But then he's outclassed by Nicholas Dalby on the feet at range. You know, it, Daniel Rodriguez is, is not no top 10 fighter by no means. He, he's right on level with Mike Perry. He probably has the cleaner boxing, got a really good left hook, 
but he's willing to brawl, man. And that's not a fight that you want with Mike Perry. You got to be clean. You got to be technical and piece him up on the outside if you want to have success against Mike Perry. Yeah, and that's exactly what Tim Means did. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we we both faded Perry on that one, yep. and it played out exactly how we we thought it would. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, you talked about the you know what is where's his dedication to the sport. I do know that on Instagram, he has switched to this ideal nutrition plan, uh, but he does post food pics daily. <laughs> so I'm not really sure where he's at on it. Like you said, I can only hope that he has his weight under control, which is why I think that we're kind of waiting for the weigh-ins to make a play on this. Sure. Oddly enough, I think Mike Perry's going to have the grappling edge here. Yeah. You know, he's been competing in the submission undergrounds, got a win over Ally Aquinta. Uh, shit, in his last fight against Tim Means, he took his back. Uh, almost, you know, had him in the, the worst spot you could be in, and, and you in MMA Mickey Gall for fifteen minutes. Yeah, grappled Mickey Gall. I mean, it. Uh, Perry's shown some real improvements into in his game as far as rounding out his game. As far as that striking goes, <laughs> I'd still classify him as a brawler for sure. Uh, you know, and then Daniel, uh, yeah, D Rod. He, he's coming off that controversial loss to Dalby, but that's another guy where it's like it was just somebody who you know fights long, is a technical striker, and made him pay because. Perry or Rodriguez aren't really great with their footwork. Mm -hmm. And that's something where I I think that there's value on this under. I know we don't see eye to eye on this, but I do think that the, uh, the under here is something to look at because neither guy uh, is great at circling off the cage. It seems like whoever's going to be the pressure fighter is going to walk, walk the other guy down and they're just going to stand and trade. You talked about this being fight of the night and both guys being as durable as they are and as aggressive they are. I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, man. The durability is what has me playing the over two and a half here, but has fight of the night written all over it. Odds makers opened it as a pick and the fact that I can get Perry at a plus 155 or better, man. Um, he has had his fair share of troubles with South Pauls, don't get me wrong, but he's a much more well-rounded person. He can mix it up, and he has a massive right hand that D-Rod shown to have trouble with himself. Yeah, not to mention D-Rod, you know, he's one of those fighters. He's a Southpaw, but he – fights with his face out you know so it is something where if it's in the pocket Perry does have that devastating you know power we saw in Jake Ellenberger Mm -hmm. in Nashville and uh, I could see something very similar to that in this D-Rod fight Mike Perry at plus money I think is the play though yeah I think that's a a dog that we both agree on has a really good chance of getting the win on Saturday cool cool moving all the way down to the women's strawweight we have Mackenzie Dern who's nine and one taking on Nina Ansaroff who's ten and six uh, Mackenzie Dern, you know, we said before her last fight that she's looking in the best physical shape yeah. of her life. And that's mm-hmm. post baby, you know, yeah. that's something that we don't usually see, but uh, damn, she's really looked good. And at, at 28 years old, <laughs> real good. <laughs> and uh, at 28 years old, having only started MMA about four years ago, steadily making improvements every single fight that she's out there. Um, as we say every single time, her, her Brazilian jiu-jitsu is unmatched. You know, like I, not even it's not even an understatement. There's not a girl on this planet that has better jiu-jitsu than Mackenzie Dern. Yeah, and it, it just uh, – that's why in this spot, I don't think Mackenzie Dern that this is a favorable matchup, but I will you'll, – you'll never see me fade Mackenzie Dern. She just has such a threat on the ground, and women's MMA is known for, like, goofy submission losses that there's just – you can't convince me to bet against Dern yeah. right here. On the Nina Ansaroff side, wife of the goat. It's kind of hard not to say that. Yeah. Uh, also coming off of a kid, a yeah. two-year layoff and at 35 years old. I think stylistically this is a good matchup for Ansaroff. But damn, if we haven't been burned on people coming back from two-year layoffs post 30 years old, yeah. it's just something. And, it's, and even women's MMA, it's like I just – there's not a lot of upside, I feel like, in betting Ansaroff, although she does have all the tools um, 
prior to her layoff mm. to beat Mackenzie Dern here pretty soundly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely need to specify. She ain't, she's, not, she's not married to John Jones. She's married to the women's goat, Amanda Nunes. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she lives that fighting lifestyle, man, in and out of you know camp. She trains out of a great camp, an American top team. But at 35, man, after having a kid, it is very worrisome. And you see the lone blemish on Mackenzie Dern's record coming on her layoff from maternity leave as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Despite that 10 and 6 record, you know, Anzarov fought tough contender Barb Honchak, um, you know, ex champion Carlos Sparza in her first couple professional fights, um, you know, and then started with Juliana Lima in her debut. And, you know, I don't know if it was the change of gym or maybe when she met Amanda, but she's kind of had a little bit of a career resurgence, mm-hmm. you know, found herself on that four fight win streak with wins over both, uh, you know, Angela Hill and Claudia Gadelia before running into, you know, the female Khabib and Tatiana Suarez, which you know, a lot of people, myself included, think she is maybe not wouldn't say the rightful champ because Zhang Wei Li is a tough task, but you know, she has real potential once Torres comes back from those injuries. Mackenzie mm-hmm. Dern, man, she's probably our our favorite female, yeah. um, you know, contender, uh, and she's found herself on a three fight win streak since dropping that one on her comeback. BJJ Black Belt World Champ, ADCC World Champ, absolute division, man. This girl's yeah. beat Gabby Garcia, you know, mm-hmm. just massive, massive girls. And when you have a jujitsu background like that, a wrestling background like some people have, the improvements you can make from fight to fight are, you know, it's, it's leaps and bounds above other people. And especially in her boxing, she's been working a lot with Jason Perillo and she's still wild on the feet, but you do see improvements in the hands there. What I, what I still have a problem with, she reminds me a little bit of the Damian Maya. She, she still struggles um, with, she struggles with getting that takedown inside the octagon. And, you know, if Nina can, can defend that, uh, you know, she is a much better striker, probably the best striker Mackenzie Dern has faced to date. Um, I do like Nina to probably win this over to decision. I hate saying that. I hate fading Mackenzie Dern, but I am going to lean with Nina to take this one on, despite coming off that layoff. I think officially I'll take Dern. And, you know, you touched on that offensive wrestling being so awful. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, that striking not being there. Like I said, though, just so many question marks on the answer off yeah. side that I'll officially take Dern. Not my, not my most confident. Yeah, and, it, and it's hard to fade a girl with world-class jiu-jitsu when women's uh, staple is arm bars and pulling guards. Thank you, know? you yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving all the way up to the men's uh, middleweight division, we see smiling Sam Alvey, who's 33-14-1, taking on the Cuban Missile Crisis, Julian Marquez, who's 8-2. and two. Sam Alvey, man, I like Sam Alvey, but he's lucky to be here right now. <laughs> you know, he's, he's uh, 0 0 four and one in his yeah. last five fights. And uh, we it, already I, discussed that draw with Yada and Un, Right. Know? That, that, that Jung draw, I think was a, a handed to him yeah. a little bit. Um, I don't think that the answer to his problems is moving down a weight class at 34 years old. Yeah. Um, already moved from it once, you know, right. And couldn't find, couldn't find the success in those upper divisions. I don't think it's going to happen here. And somebody like Julian Marquez, who does have that, that uh, wrestling prowess and uh, has proven himself to be at least a UFC caliber talent. um, It worries me him being a favorite. So that's why I am going to stay off this fight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sam Alvey will pull a Sam Alvey and and get the upset. Uh, So officially I think I'm going to lay off this fight as well, though I do lean Julian here. Yeah, man, I'm with you. Uh, You know, Sam's in a tricky spot. You know, he's making his 21st UFC walk. Uh, he's lost four of his last five, and rightfully we think he should have lost his other one there. And dropping back down to middleweight, a division that wasn't successful before, he went up to light heavyweight, and he only beats Prochniel and Gian Vellante. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it loses to everybody else, gets his chin cracked by Jimmy Crew and Little Nog, getting finished for like the first time in his career. Uh, but, you know, not to shit on him too much, he really good timing on his leg kicks. He's got a great counter right hand that he catches people when they're trying to come in on him. And the left hand shocks people when it lands, man. You mm-hmm. know, Ryan Spain and Dottum Jones both got hit with that left hand. So hesitant to throw after that, despite putting Sam on the fence the entire time. With Marquez, you know, this fight opened as a minus 125 for Marquez, and I absolutely see it. His, you know, his 25-month layoff return against Maki Patolo was was not impressive. Maki is not known to be a, a, a good wrestler, and he absolutely demolished, um, you know, Julian on the mat until he gassed, and Julian was able to pull off a sub in round three. It's not the first round three, you know, finish we've seen Marquez pull. We saw him dominate on the mat by Phil Halls before he has that, you know, tremendous head kick that got him into the UFC. Both these guys, men are as tough as they come. They both have proven they can go 15 minutes over and over again. Julian Marquez has now made the move to glory MMA under James Krause. I think this has to over two and a half written all over it, in my opinion. You know, you you got to be Jimmy Crude or someone to really put Sam away. And Julian Marquez, he's going to be there the full 15 minutes, and people learn that the hard way themselves. You know, something that, that stood out to me is you talked about Maki Patolo having success wrestling somebody like Julian Marquez. Mm-hmm. And Maki Patolo is one of the undersized middleweights yeah. in the division. So I think Sam will have the size advantage here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that he's the uh, same height, but I, I do think that the four-inch reach advantage could come into play. Like you said, that sneaky left hand, the sneaky right hand, like those catch people off guard. And I think that that's what makes people hesitant whenever they're fighting Sam. They just get caught off guard and then become – uh, kind of deer in the headlights, don't want to get hit with that again. Yeah, Sam's, Sam's a tricky guy to fight. I, uh, you know, I really haven't played either one of these guys yet, do lean Julian Marquez. I want to see how the scale and stuff treats Sam coming back down the middleweight. I, I don't really know if he has the cardio to wrestle Julian Marquez. Um, man, I, yeah, I'm going to lean Julian Marquez probably by decision. And both in agreement, we probably would be playing Julian Marquez straight if we could have gotten him at the opening line. Yeah, minus 125 for sure, minus 190, probably not touching it. I feel that. Back in our men's middleweight division, we have Ali Siyab Kizriyov, who's 13-0, and and I'll refer to as Ali from this point on, <laughs> taking on Kyle Dawkins, who's 10-1. and Ali, you know, anybody with a win over Rusamar Polares <laughs> is, is the man in my book, you know? <laughs> Fuck Rusamar Polares. So I, I really was happy to see that, and I got to watch the fight, and Rusamar yeah. really took a beating he in did. that fight. He did. Um, there's, a, there's something that stood out to me huge in this fight. Ali is an ex lightweight he was Five fighting in, yeah he was fighting in lightweight as an amateur and now we see him all the way up at 185 taking on one of the biggest 185ers in the UFC and I think that that's why we see the most dramatic point shift on this card I think it's 100 points in favor of Dalkus. um you know you, you to talk more about Ali he's like any other Russian yeah. top pressure uh, is, is out of this world uh, he will attack the body uh, when standing. He likes his liver kicks and his uh, mm-hmm. his body shots in general. And I, that's something that I do like uh, being his height. I think that that's where he's going to get them, find the most success on a tall, lanky guy like Dalkus. Um, Dalkus, like I said, that huge size advantage and all but one of his wins are by submission. When it comes to stand-up, his left straight is about as accurate as he mm-hmm. gets. Um, and if he decides to take this to the ground he can be relentless with his with his takedowns i just don't think he's going to be able to get it uh, on a guy that's as good as ali here um 
I, I personally lean Ali, but like we talked about, I think we're going to wait till post weigh-ins before mm-hmm. we make a, a bet on this, just to see how undersized he's going to be. For sure, man. Ali Asab is nasty Russian grappler, man, with brutal ground and pound. And you're right, man. Uh, ref should have stopped that Rusamar fight. He, you know, took a couple extra, but we're not going to complain about that. Not at all. <laughs> you know, and then under a minute uh, in the Contender Series debut fight against Shigamoto, who had no business being in there with him, man. Um, those real heavy shots from the outside, but it's all to set up the takedown there. This is just this guy's second fight at middleweight. He, he reminds me of Kelvin Gastelum, you know, straight up. They're, they're welterweights that just don't look like their diet under control, you know, don't look like they don't like cutting weight. He comes out super hot out of that first round, man, and, um, you know, at middleweight carrying that extra weight, you know, he hasn't been he hasn't shown me yet that he can go the full 15, up 15 extra pounds, and I think there's a real serious live bet opportunity on Kyle Dawkins, if we see Kizriev go out here and dominate early with the ref- wrestling first round. Kyle Dawkins, man, you know, the younger brother of Chris Dawkins, who's making waves in the heavyweight division right now. And they train out of Martinez BJJ. He's an excellent black belt there. He's got eight of his 10 wins by submission. He loves that Dar's choke with his long frame. Um, you know, despite losing it, he really, he almost won his debut with Brendan Allen, man. The stock that, you know, people got in him, he was able to show his durability and a lot of his skill set against a really tough, uh, you know, contender in Brendan Allen. Gets that rebound fight against Dustin Stolfis, and you really see the improvements in his striking. Great one, too. Just peppering him. Great, great volume, man. And, it, you know, Donkus' last two fights, I really do think they've helped him grow as a martial artist, you know, where the last two for kids where the guys really haven't even put up a shot, you know? So to say I'm hesitant to pull it on as um, Ali Asab, yeah, man, for sure. Despite him opening as a minus 235, I still really am hesitant to pull the trigger on him. Um, you know, he's given up a couple inches in height and in reach here, man. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to lean toward Ali Asab, but this is a real close fight. And, um, you know, I think the public did the, the right thing in betting this down closer. And as we talked about, I don't think that that line's going to trend in Ali's favor at any point in mm-hmm. time. Once those weigh-ins happen, they're going to see that huge size disadvantage. And if you are leaning Ali right now, you're going to get him at plus money in my head once weigh-ins happen. I agree with you, man. I don't think you should play Ali yet. I think that's one you should probably hold off as well. Moving on to the co-main event of the evening, man. With Darren Till off the card, this is probably the fight I'm looking forward to the most. Um, you know, two of the best prospects in the featherweight division that are not ranked inside the top ten right now. Both just one loss in their career. You know, Arnold Allen lost a you know really close decision. Sadiq Yusuf, on the other hand, had you know suffered a pretty nasty KO where he was arm dragged, you know, face planted into the canvas there. Man, with Arnold Allen, he's 7-0 and in the UFC. He's really just now getting his big test, and he's he hasn't had a lot of finishes, and it's just been a sort of a slow climb through the rankings for this guy. And his last two, he's got Gilbert Melendez and Nick Lentz, both guys who, you know, coming down from 155 and also on the tail end of their career, man. You know, Allen did exactly what he was supposed to in those fights, and I don't really see it being an issue here because I don't I don't see Zadik you know going out here and wrestling. But wrestling is a huge hole that Arnold Allen has. He's made the move to try Star, you know, with Brasa Hobby to try to, you know, strengthen that up. But man, before that, Amir Khani, Mads Burnell, even his opponent, you know, debut Alan Omar, he was down two rounds before he pulls off the submission in round three. Um, I, you know, he's making huge improvements at this young age and stuff. But it's still a worry come down the road. It's a big advantage being a Southpaw here is we've seen Zadik have some issues with that. He trains out of Team Lloyd Urban there with Tafon and Kuchwi. Um, you know, he's a great, great kickboxer, and he's had Bill Algio here in this camp who's a, a tall Southpaw helping him prep for Arnold Allen. 
Really good jujitsu, absolute physical specimen. I think the calf kicks are going to help, you know, limit that lateral movement that Arnold really relies on. He's got really crisp boxing, man. This is this is such a close fight. It's a, it's aligned perfectly, in my opinion. I just have to lean with Sadiq. This guy's been in the ring with some with some killers and came out on top, man. Uh, yet another one that we disagree on. This this could be the challenge for the week. I cool with it. Yeah, so maybe we'll make this one the challenge for the week. It's a little bit more of an exciting fight, being the co-main event. Yeah. Um, Arnold Allen, man, like you said, primary boxer has that really slick jab and an excellent mm-hmm. one too. Um, early in his career, I'm with you. That takedown, takedown defense was really suspect, getting taken down two times in that Alan Omar fight, the four times in the Amir Khani fight. But as we saw, and I personally think the best wrestler he's faced to date, Nick Lentz, he was able, he seemed to have patched those holes, stuffing all seven of Nick Lentz's takedowns, which is why I'm so confident that this fight will stay on the feet. And it's, it's one that I think Alan has the advantage of on the feet because he does have that crisper boxing mm-hmm. where you go to Sadiq, uh, similarly to Allen, likes to stand up and relies a little bit more on his power shots yeah. than Allen does. Um, and that's kind of where I think Allen's going to be able to withstand that early, you know, barrage of strikes that Sadiq throws. Um, and Sadiq has shown in the past that he has the tendency to start slowing down towards the end of the fight, especially in his last fight against Andre Feely that comes to mind. Like that's, that's a, that's a decision that, you know, is pretty controversial in my opinion. And, uh, I just think Arnold Allen, if we're just judging, and I know that you shouldn't do this to make your bets, but if we're just judging on their last fights, I think that there's a lot more upside in Arnold Allen at 27 versus Sadiq at 27. Uh, Allen is fixing those holes where I think that Sadiq and his build, mm-hmm. that's always going to be a hole. He just doesn't have the build and the fighting style with as powerful of shots that he throws to be able to last those 15 minutes. I think ultimately that'll be what causes Allen to get the win, whether it's by KO or whatever, I think he'll have more volume on the feet. Uh, so I'd lean Allen, but I, I like that this is our, our head to head right here. Yeah, man. And I, I really see where you're coming from that round three cardio, um, especially in the Feely fight in particular, it, you know, it was definitely a letdown for, you know, for Yusuf there and Arnold Allen is going to be there for the full 15 minutes with the full gas tank um, to, to play devil's advocate a little bit. Andre Feely, you know, try to grapple him a whole bunch. And I think that grappling really did take a toll. If this were to be standing on the feet the whole time, I, I really hope those cardio issues, you know, are fixed, man. Um, it, uh, this has real potential to be the best fight of the night, in my opinion. I, I like that. It's, it's either this one or the Perry Rodriguez mm-hmm. fight. For sure. Moving on to our main event, we go to the middleweight division where we see Kevin Holland taking on Marvin Vittori. You know, Kevin Holland, we just broke yeah. him down two <laughs> weeks ago. Um, but to be honest with you, I hope that a completely different Kevin Holland comes out. Um, last time he, you know, I know his, his thing is being the big mouth and everything, but I definitely hope that he comes more focused, less about those antics, trying to get the crowd involved. You know, his stock's already risen. And if he would have just kept on winning like he did in 2020, that's going to be just as helpful as you talking during your fights. Um, you know, as we saw in the Brunson fight, massive hole in Kevin Holland's game. It's his takedown defense. And to be honest with you, the only way I think he's going to fix that is if he drops to 170, his true weight class. Mm -hmm. Like, dude's coming in, not cutting weight in under two pounds. Like, that's not going to work out for you in the long run, especially once you get to those upper echelon fighters. Um, Outside of that, he's a pretty good fighter, you know? (laughs) Like, he's uh, comfortable inside the pocket. He's not afraid to exchange. Uh, We talk about the Buckley fight just about every time Holland gets brought up, and that's just because of how impressive he looked uh, inside the fire of Buckley. Yeah. Um, Marvin Vittori, extremely well-rounded fighter. Uh, usually prefers to keep this on the feet, uh, but 
I think that this is a matchup where we're going to see it on the mat quite a bit. And that's just judging by, I hope Vittori watched Holland's fight two weeks ago, because yeah. that would be my game plan going into this. And after watching that Jack Hermanson fight, shoot, he hit the switch on Jack Hermanson in that first round. And I was like, okay, well, that's all I really needed to see to know that he's going to demolish Kevin Holland here. I think Vittori is better than Brunson. I yeah. think if they get matched up, he's going to dominate Brunson. Um, that, that traditional boxing of Marvin Vittori could also give Kevin Holland some problems, but with that reach of Kevin Holland, I, I can't imagine that Vittori's going to want to stand and trade with him. Yeah, man, right there with you all day on Vittori here. He's, uh, you know, it was said Cannoneer, probably the dark horse of the division for the longest time, but I, I think rightfully so, Marvin Vittori might have taken that spot. You know, outside of Kevin Gastelum, he's given Izzy the hardest fight at 185 so far, and he fights angry, man, with a chip on his shoulder, and um, you know, almost uses it to his advantage, but you can't really blame this guy. You know, he was on UFC London, which is the first event to get canceled by COVID. Carl Roberson pulls on him like two or three times before he can finally get his hands on him. You know, he's, he tries so hard to get the Omari draw back, pulls on him. And now mm-hmm. Darren Till, you know, I understand the built-up frustration of Marvin Torrey. This guy just wants to fight and coming off, you know, the best win of his career, his first time going, uh, you know, being scheduled for five rounds, went the full five rounds, which was – Nice to see after that gas tank look like shit against Omar. You're seeing improvements out of Kings MMA and under Rafael Cordero at only 27 years old. Durable as it gets, man. He's never been finished. You know, Holland's going to have to catch this guy with the shot he doesn't doesn't see if he mm-hmm. wants to put him away. But, you know, Brunson, you know, like you said, you don't really have to touch on him that much. We just did a couple weeks ago there, you know. But staying ready, you know, oftentimes can reward you. And it's, it's the case here. He's, you know, he's getting a, maybe even – the fight Brunson should have got, you know, mm-hmm. just by staying ready and being active. Um, in my opinion, Kevin Ga- or uh, Kevin Gaslam, Kevin Holland is the the only one with the upside in this fight. You know, a win for Marvin here doesn't really do anything yeah. for him, you know, but a win for Kevin Holland puts him right back into the damn top seven or something, you know. Yeah. Um, he's got a great frame, dude. He's really good at range, but you know how I feel about him. I love watching him fight, but I'm just not sold on him, man. You know, the uh, – yeah, two quick finishes over Fluffy and Sosa, both in just kind of a weird style. Buckley and Antivera stepping in on day's notice. And then the one fight that was a true scheduled fight for him and Darren Stewart showed me all I needed to know to favor Brunson in his last matchup. I got Vittori all day here, man, and I think it's uh, a clinic just like Brunson put on. Uh, you know, it doesn't make it a good show if we can't play a little devil's advocate. Yeah. You talked about Marvin Vittori having that chip on his shoulder. He is. He's an emotional fighter. And if there was one fighter on this <laughs> roster to bring out some emotion, it's got to be yeah. Kevin Holland here. So that is an angle that I don't hear getting talked about much. But I, I do think that Holland has the uh, the talking, the mental aspect of the game to get maybe a little bit. Yeah, to maybe have Marvin Vittori sway away from the game plan a little mm-hmm. bit and want to get in that stand-up war with Holland. He, he tried with Brunson so hard. Right. So, uh, you know, with Marvin Vittori's uh, emotional state, mm-hmm. who knows, man. But I, I do think this is Marvin Vittori's uh, fight to lose right here. For sure. So, yeah. 15 fights, man. Jesus. Finally finished with them. Uh, to wrap everything up, man, you know, you look through the entire list, what's the fight that stands out here for you? It's a pretty easy decision <laughs> for me. It's got to be Mike Perry versus Daniel Rodriguez. It's uh, going to be a brawl. It'll be an absolute brawl. And like mm-hmm. I said, I'm looking at the under there. You're looking at the over. It's just going to be an awesome fight, man. And you can expect violence no matter what. For me, man, it's got to be that co-main event. That's such a such a well-matched fight between two great featherweight prospects and Arnold Allen and Zadik Yusuf. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the people's main event for what it seems like, you know, big, big, uh, 
big upside for one of these guys. They're breaking to the top 10 with a win here. You're going to have a new hot prospect after this. You will, man. Um, for me, I'll go ahead and say uh, I'm going to kick it right off with Impa, man. He's my fighter to watch. He's dropping a weight class, still looks like a, you know, freaking specimen. And he's coming off, um, you know, a knockout that's going to be replayed for years here. A lot of eyes are going to be on Impa. Um, and I actually you know, think he's in a good spot to get a good win here. That's a good one. Not to mention changing camps. Yeah. A lot of variables in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine's got to be Nina Ansaroff. Not pulling for her, but she's for sure my fighter to watch. At 35 years old, two-year layoff, and just having a kid. Uh, she's definitely going to answer a lot of questions that mm-hmm. everybody has. Uh, then as far as my underdog play of the night, we've, we've talked about it. Arnold Allen, that's my play. Um, I think at minus 120, you're, you're getting value, uh, plus 120, you're getting value. And I personally think that the public likes Sadiq a little bit more than Allen, and that line will probably continue to, to go up in my favor. Yeah, we, uh, we didn't want to throw out Mike Perry just because, you know, expect a play from us mm-hmm. there. Um, we actually think he might have should have been the favorite here. But if I had to pick a dog, also a plus 120, I'm going to go with Jordan Griffin. Um, hmm, okay. You know, I think he – he has the upside in the grappling to call Saldana some problems, uh, but I know our best bet of the night comes from that fight as well. Yeah, dude. The uh, my best bet is for sure the uh, or shoot. Yeah, it's our yeah. best bet. We're yeah. both on that. Thank the Lord. Uh, under two and a half for Saldana Griffin is at plus one eighty. I mean, that's something that you know. I don't know. We're for sure going to put at least a unit on it, and that just means big returns. Yeah, so. and, and another bet that we're extremely high on, even more high after breaking it down, is you know his favorite Joe Selecki over Jim mm-hmm, Miller here. Mm-hmm. Um, probably even at a plus 200, you know, we're willing to lay the chalk there on him. And that's something, you know, we haven't talked about this out loud, but we're going to try and do a little bit less of the mm-hmm. parlaying and more laying that extra units on the chalk. If, if we lean a fight, we need to start going with our guts and quit trying to do the amateurish parlaying. Yeah, man, we're hitting at, what, 50% total, but over 74% in our legs and our parlay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're learning from our mistakes. We expect a better second, uh, you know, second quarter this year. And Great night of fights to get us back started. Yes, sir. So if you guys are hanging out with us still, make sure to hit that like button, sub to the channel. See you guys next week. Peace.